We start our brand new series, and uh, this will take us through till Easter. And we're going through Mark's Gospel. We went through Mark's Gospel a couple of years ago, and so these are the passages that we didn't preach on the last time. So it's here in Mark's Gospel, uh, many people believe it was the first Gospel that was out of the, the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. So some people debate uh, about this, but Mark clearly looks like it was the first one. And the very first words of Mark's Gospel tell us why he's writing his Gospel. They're in Mark 1 verse 1. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's unpack that. He says it's about Jesus. And who is Jesus? He's the Christ. And he's also the Son of God. So Christ is a term you'd use with the Jews to say God, uh, God's special anointed one has come. And Son of God is a term you use with the Gentiles so that Jesus was God's unique one and only Son. And of course, gospel uh, is going to be unpacked as we get through the first uh, chapter. So there in chapter 1, verse 15 and 14, it says, Now after John was arrested, as in John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And then in verse 15, it tells us what is the gospel. He says, The time is fulfilled. In other words, his arriving in Israel was the start of a brand new event in time and space. And it has three aspects to it. The first he says is this, the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of God is near. So that's the first thing. It's about the kingdom of God, and we'll look at what that means in a moment. The second part of the gospel is that you need to repent. You need to confess to God that you are sorry for the sins that you have done. And the third is you need to believe in the gospel. And so somehow the word gospel and the word kingdom of God are intertwined in the gospels. So what does kingdom of God actually mean? Now it's mentioned 126 times in the Gospels, but hardly ever in the New Testament letters. Now the word kingdom in the Bible means God's reign or God's rule or God is in control. That God governs all things. And back in Psalm 103 it says this, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. As a good Presbyterian, one of the things we really talk about God is that he's the sovereign Lord. In other words, the title of uh, uh, extreme majesty. Now, since God's purpose for the world is to save people for himself, he needs to renew the world for its people. So his kingly rule implies that he wants to save us and redeem us, and that is the core purpose of his kingdom happening. So that when Jesus dies to save sinners who repent, where do we see God's reign? First of all, we see God's reign in the heart of believers. So every believer has a relationship with God and their aim is to fight Satan, sin and death. The second way we see the kingdom of God is as we meet together as believers in the church, the body of Christ, we are gathering as citizens of a new kingdom, not dominated by the views of the world, but dominated by the views of Christ. That's why the church so often clashes with society. Society says, this is our value. And we'll say, but this is our value. Now, it's interesting. Things like humility, we take humility now as the norm. Back when the New Testament was written and they talked about humility, people thought that humility was a sign of weakness, not a sign of strength. Yet you and I as Christians say, but humility is what we should be. We should be humble. That is a sign of strength. It's an exact turnaround from how society saw things. 
If we think of things like marriage, we see the sacredness of a husband and wife and children. That unit is sacred. That is a modern Christian view. Lots of cultures, lots of societies throughout the whole of history have regularly belittled and devalued the role of the family. And where is the kingdom of God seen in the third space? It's seen in the heart of believers. It's seen in the church meeting. It is seen the day that Jesus comes back to rule the earth and then his kingdom will be proclaimed fully. So there we'll have a new heaven and a new earth. Now the gospel shows that the kingdom of God is both present and in the future. It is now but to be fulfilled. We're nearly there but not quite. You can hear the future mention when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come or your kingdom come. We are praying daily in the Lord's Prayer for Jesus to bring his kingdom about. And we should pray that every day. Now bring the kingdom, Lord, is not here the way we want it to be. Bring your kingdom, bring your rule fully in the lives of believers first and then ultimately in the world. Therefore, Jesus can say the kingdom is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It would be easy for Jesus' followers to think that they could make him an earthly king. And at different times you go through the gospel, you see they did try to make him into an earthly king. They wanted him to make his kingdom happen in an earthly way. And Jesus is saying, no, my kingdom is far bigger, far more significant than the physical realm around you. Jesus knew that his death upon the cross would open the door to heaven and his kingdom would reign. This is why the kingdom of God in the gospels is fulfilled in the rest of the New Testament who don't use the term kingdom, but talk about Jesus is Lord. So Jesus being our Lord and the kingdom and the gospel are all intertwined terms. Now as we come today to this uh, leprosy and the healing of a leper, it's interesting the New Testament has three words it uses to describe miracles. The first is it says it's a power, which means mighty deed that God is doing. Secondly, it is a sign which refers to a miracle that has figurative represents something else, such as this healing represents the work of the kingdom of God. There's a symbolism. The third word they use is wonder. So you have power, signs and wonder. And wonder indicates that something extraordinary is about to happen. Now sometimes Jesus calls on his Father and performing miracles. At other times he'll do his miracles in his own authority. Once more, it just gives us the subtle implications of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity. So when we come to the Gospels, we find that there are 37 miracles that occur. Now some of the uh, miracles will occur in more than one Gospel. So their stories are repeated, but there's 37 of them. Of the 37, 11 are creation miracles. Jesus walks on water. Jesus calms a storm. On four occasions, Jesus will take demons or drive demons out of people. And four times, he'll get people who are dead and bring them to life again. But the most significant area of his miracles is healings. There are 20 different times that he performs healings. Now, sometimes it's described that healings are done in general to the community. Other times it's very specific and Jesus heals one person. So healings could be withered hands, could be blind who could see, disabled who could walk, the invalid, the paralytic, or deaf could once more hear. Now in Mark 1 we have this story. Now just before it says this, Immediately Jesus left the synagogue in the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So he's there with four disciples. 
Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And so we have the uh, implications. There's 12 apostles. One of the apostles at least had a uh, wife and therefore a mother-in-law. And uh, so immediately Jesus uh, was told about her. He came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her like that. And typical of any good mother or mother-in-law, what does she do? She starts serving her food. You know, oh, you poor boys, you look so hungry, I'll have to feed you. And so she does what is normal. So what's the response to Jesus curing the mother-in-law? Very quickly, people start whispering around the village. So it says in verse 32, That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew who he was. And so we see right at this very beginning, as Jesus starts his ministry, his ministry is very strong focus, saying, I want to preach the kingdom of God. I want to call people to repentance. But because of his love and compassion on those who are struggling, people just don't hear the message only. They say, oh, but I've got a sick relative. I've got to bring them straight away. So now let's turn to the leper. Why is this leper and why is leprosy so significant? Now the term leprosy, it could be lepers, or leprosy or leprous, it occurs 68 times in the Bible, 55 times in the Old Testament, 13 times in the New. So what is leprosy? Now it wasn't until 1873 that it was given a specific title called Henson's disease. It was given that in 1873 when Gerard Henson described the leprous bacillus. It was only at this point did leprosy finally have a definition for what was happening. Now, for many separate uh, centuries, leprosy was considered a curse of God and was often associated with sin. The earliest record we've been able to find of leprosy is about 600 BC. So it's a disease that has been part of uh, most countries in the uh, area of uh, Bible lands for centuries. But what's the trouble with leprosy? It did not kill you. But it did last forever and your body would slowly, exhaustively waste away to nothing. You would linger there with your body deforming and your tissues degenerating. Many have thought that leprosy was a skin disease. In reality, it's actually a nerve disease would be a better classification. Now, the Bible uses the term leprosy but it covers not just leprosy as in what we use today, but any of those major skin diseases. So it covers a far broader uh, uh, spectrum that even includes things like mold and mildew. Now in the Old Testament, God said that when there were lepers among the people of Israel, they should be carefully quarantined and examined. We see that in Leviticus 13 and 14. So what did that mean? If you were a leper, you had to dress like people who were mourning for the dead. So the very clothes you wore were that of a funeral because people considered that you were the living dead. How devastating would it be if you caught leprosy? As you walked through the streets, you had to yell out as people came near you, unclean, unclean, unclean. And those words be on your lips every moment of the day. A rabbi from the time of Jesus boasted that he would throw rocks at lepers to keep them far away from him. And people at the time of Jesus spoke very harshly about people who had leprosy. Now Jesus freely touched people with leprosy. 
Well, people traditionally with leprosy suffered banishment from their family and neighbours. Jesus broke that tradition. He treated lepers with compassion, touching and healing them. As many, many years ago now, probably over 30 years ago, I worked in a place called Focus Youth Centre that was run by our church. And uh, it was one of the guys came along to our church, had AIDS. He um, had blood transfusions and he caught it through that. And every time he had cuts, he would come to our youth centre and I'd, I'd bandage him up. And uh, at that time, people were petrified of, lep- of um, AIDS. People thought you might get it from the air. It may be uh, given by mosquitoes. A mosquito you know, takes blood out of one person, gives it to the next person, and therefore you might be able to catch AIDS. So you can imagine the fear and the horror and the devastation at, at that time. He was so harsh that his wife left him, saying, I cannot live with you because I'm in fear of my own very life. And he'd arrive and we'd bandage him up. I had I was too naive to know uh, the potential dangers. He didn't use gloves because we didn't, just didn't know. But it was one of the few places that he got accepted. How much more were these lepers accepted? What about leprosy today? Most new cases of leprosy occur in only 14 countries. Half of all lepers occur in India today. So uh, what about modern countries like uh, Australia and America? 200 cases per year of leprosy are reported in the United States. Here in Australia, between 2005 and 2009, the World Health Organisation reported that there were 45 cases of leprosy here in Australia. Does anybody know where the closest leper colony was to us here in Sydney? You will know, Jen. It's now a chronic fatigue centre. Prince Henry Hospital. Yeah. Go to Prince Henry, the chronic fatigue centre. It's away from everything else. Why? Because that was a leprosarium. Of the 13 newest cases of leprosy in Australia, 12 were people who were born overseas. So really, we don't have much of a problem with leprosy. Um, it did uh, do damage to our Aboriginals, but it's nearly unknown now. However, our neighbours, New Guinea has 388 cases in 2015. And Timor, the new country there that has uh, been greatly impacted by the Presbyterian Church, has 111 cases of leprosy. Let's turn to the passage now. Remembering this passage about a leper is about a man who was considered unclean, destitute, and uh, had no dealings with his family, had no dealings with friends. He would only make friends with other lepers. So there in Mark 1 verse 40, a leper came to Jesus imploring him and kneeling beside him. If you will, you can make me clean. You man, this man is just begging his heart out for Jesus to heal him. Now Luke describes this whole man as being full of leprosy there in Luke chapter 5 verse 12. What does that mean? I mean this man's leprosy was full blown. It was at the last advanced stages. The whole man's body and his life was rotting before your eyes. What does Jesus do there in verse 41? Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him and said, I will be clean. Now it was against the Bible and against Jewish ceremonial law to touch a leper. Yet Jesus did not break the law because as soon as he touched the man, he was no longer a leper, but he was clean. Verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him. He became clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. 
See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. What does he want to show himself to the priests? Jesus told the leper to go to the priests so they could carry out the ceremonial cleaning and say the leper is cleansed, but far deeper is to say this incurable disease is cured. What was there for life is gone. What was filth and death, the person in front of you now is full of life. So Jesus does this to honour the law of God. And as a testimony to the high priest and the priests, that an incurable disease has been indeed cured. Now it's interesting, the elements used in the Levitical ceremony for the cleansing of leper, which was cedar wood, hyssop and scarlet, are the very same elements used in cleansing someone who's been defiled by a dead body. So you can see the harshness about how stark and how badly lepers were treated. And why does the Bible focus on leper? It's to say the very worst thing our society has that we hate the most, Jesus can change that. Verse 45, And he went out and began to talk freely about them and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but went out to desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now it's interesting, as we go to the New Testament, as we go to the Bible, physical healing was never the central point of Jesus' earthly mission. So what was his point? Luke 19 says, To seek and to save that which is lost, to provide salvation, redemption and eternal life to sinners. His one message from the very first words of Mark to the end of Mark is that of the gospel, a call to repentance and a call to respond. So as it says in Matthew 4.17, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That will ultimately lead to people's eternal life and their rest for their weary souls. Why do we follow Jesus? Because Jesus said to us in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labour and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, as Jesus travelled around, he did encounter multitudes of sick, lame, lepers, blind and other physically suffering people. The Bible tells that he healed every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. And those physical healings were vivid displays of both Jesus' power and, more importantly, of Jesus' compassion for people. They were proof of his deity, that he was God, and a living demonstration of his divine authority over sickness. They established for Jesus an unlimited power to liberate anyone and everyone from bondage, the penalty and the consequences of sin. As such, the healing ministry of Jesus was illustrative of the gospel message that he preached. That the healing was a true expression of divine compassion. But it's also the definitive verification of his messianic credentials that he was the Christ. He is the Son of God. And that's one of the reasons why he did it. The question now falls to us in the modern church is, will everybody who prays today be healed? Paul, when he wrote in the church in Philippi, says this in chapter 1, To you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, 
So somehow, suffering is not one of the things that will necessarily go when we become believers. Now sadly, a lot of the suffering as believers is because the world will persecute us. But when the gospel is announced, there is both the physical healings are merely symbolising a far more vital and far more lasting message. And a message which is far more real, far more momentous. Yes, healing brings temporary relief. But Jesus' purpose was eternal relief. Yes, healings will bring you temporary satisfaction. But our true satisfaction is found on the day we start in heaven. This is just want to finish with these words from 2 Corinthians 4. So do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self has been renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond our comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. There are healings today, and if someone was sick in our church, the first thing I do would be pray for that person to be healed. And many times that person may be healed by God. I've had the joy of seeing people with cancer who are healed. We had one lovely lady who um, was about to go under the knife. And the doctor said, the day before surgery, I just want to do one final inspection before we operate on you the next day. And she comes in and says, look, I'm sorry, the test didn't seem to work. Can we test you a second time? And she says, all right, fair enough then. It's got tested a second time. Look, I'm sure, you know, the, I know the cancer's there, but the machine's not reading properly. We're going to test you a third time, but on a different machine. And if Kamani came back and said, look, I don't know what to do. <laughs> this is really embarrassing. Tomorrow we're going to operate on cancer, but today it's not there. I don't know what to do. Do you mind if I operate anyway just to see what's not there? And she graciously allowed him to look, and he came back and said, no cancer there whatsoever, but it was there on the screen beforehand. It really frustrated the poor doctor. But she had been prayed for. She had been loved by her church. And by God in his mercy, at that moment in time, brought about healing. I have no idea who God will heal and who he will not heal. I will pray for healing, living in God's hands. But we're also told that the things of this world, the things of the scene, are transient. What is more important is that which is eternal. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father, help us fix our eyes on that which is eternal. May our heart's desire be to serve you and your gospel, to pray for your kingdom to come. We pray this now and every day that we live. Amen.